invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. This is our last Sunday night in the Sermon on the Mount. It has been a, an encouraging and a rich time together. Uh, don't forget that next Sunday evening, uh, we will be at, uh, back in the gym for our family night picnic and our August choir concert. Uh, I don't know that I've said this out loud yet, but it is going to be earlier uh, than normal so that the concert can start earlier. So come and eat at 5. The concert will start at 5.30. Uh, we usually start at 5.30, and then the program begins around 6.15. Uh, but so do, do come uh, and uh, be in prayer for Wendell and, and for the entire event, for our choir who will be joining in. And as I said this morning, all of us will be the choir in a sense that we'll be able to sing along uh, with him throughout the evening. Uh, after uh, that, uh, the following Sunday nights, we'll begin a new series in uh, the Psalms, looking at several Messianic Psalms. Uh, Psalms that point us very explicitly to uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so look forward to, uh, to hearing God's word opened up from Psalms. But tonight we are concluding the Sermon on the Mount. So I invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me. I'll read together uh, verses 24 through 29. This is God's word, Matthew writes. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, the date was October the 10th, 2018. Hurricane Michael slammed ashore at Mexico Beach, Florida, just east of Panama City Beach. Uh, the devastation there was much like the devastation we, many of us, saw or perhaps even experienced when Hurricane Katrina came through in 2005. The storm surge was 20 feet, the sixth highest storm surge of all hurricanes since 1933. Uh, and just like in Katrina, all that was left in, in so many instances was slabs. In fact, when I went to Google Maps, you can zoom in and you still see only slabs and rubble. And I'm wondering, is that a picture from 2018 or is that today? I, I don't know. A few houses did make it through, Michael, with serious damage, but there was one particular house that looked exactly the same on October the 10th as it looked on October the 9th. And this house, as you can imagine, was written about, news stories were done on it, and every time they would ask the two owners, I think they were from Tennessee, they would say, how did your house survive this storm, and how did it survive essentially unscathed? Well, the answer was this, it was built to withstand up to 240 mile per hour hurricane winds. Its pilings went 40 feet deep. It used cement hardy board siding instead of vinyl siding. Its soffits were very small so that the wind could not lift up the roof. 
It used relatively few windows. Not only were its pilings concrete, but its walls were concrete. The rebar didn't just go down into the pilings. It went up through the walls, and the, the, these steel girders had beams or had cables that went all the way around, all the way to the back of the house. As you hear them describe the things that they did to their house, of course, the, the announcer says, that was probably pretty expensive, wasn't it? And like, yeah, it, it was expensive. They went far beyond the Florida hurricane codes as existing, and obviously it worked. When the rains came and when the storm surge surged and when the winds blew, the house won. Now, we come to our text this evening, and Jesus here, as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, uses one last illustration, a simile, a use of like or as, and he speaks of a situation very similar to that which I just told you that happened a few years ago. Here, Jesus is seeking to drive home all that he has taught in chapters 5 through 7, and he is asserting once more his absolute authority, his absolute lordship over all mankind. He speaks of two builders, a wise man and a foolish man. The Greek word for the foolish man here is moros, from which we get our word moron. Here's a, a spiritual moron and a spiritual wise man. Two builders, two foundations, one on the rock and one on the sand, and two ends, two ends that come when the storms of life pass through with ferocity and beat upon the two houses, one end standing, the other end falling. But through it all, in all of these doublets and all of these comparisons, there's really just one question that Jesus seeks to place before us this evening. Will you only be a hearer of Jesus's words, or will you be a hearer and a doer? Will you only hear, or will you hear and respond? Will you hear and obey? Well, this evening, I want us to approach this hopefully familiar passage, but I want us to approach as if we're not that familiar with it. And to do that, I want us to consider three things. First, the two builders. Second, the common storm. And third, the warning crowds from verses 28 and 29. So first, the two builders. When you read this parable, this illustration, uh, you likely immediately think that the comparisons between Christians and non-Christians, people who follow Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus. And in that, you would be correct. You would be right. But you must remember what we have seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that there are two ways to be a non-Christian. There are two ways to be someone who does not follow Jesus. On the one hand, you can be a, a Gentile, a pagan, someone who is irreligious, someone who has zero interest, zero desire in knowing Jesus and in worshiping Jesus. But on the other hand, you can be a hypocritical Pharisee. You can be someone who is religious, who on the outside looks like he wants to follow Jesus, it looks like he is following Jesus and perhaps even thinks that he or she is following Jesus. And so if you read this story and you think that Jesus is comparing the Christian with the irreligious pagan non-Christian, then you would be wrong. Because look at the comparison. It's between those who hear Jesus's words and do them and those who hear Jesus's words and do not do them. Jesus is speaking here of two classes of hearers. 
He's not speaking of a class of hearers and a class of non-hearers. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because he's concluding this sermon, a sermon that's spoken particularly to his disciples, as we saw back in chapter 5, but the crowds have been hearing him also, as we see here in verse 28. The crowds had heard his teaching. They were listening. Everyone here is hearing him. Everyone is listening to Jesus' words. Outwardly, everyone seems to be safe and secure. Everyone is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his word. There's the Christian, and there's the non-Christian, but the non-Christian in this situation, in this story, is a religious non-Christian. The casual observer would not have been able to tell the difference, but beneath the surface, what is unseen, at the level of the heart, there couldn't be any more difference, because these two builders, says Jesus, have built on two different foundations. The wise man has built his house on the rock, and the foolish man, the moron, has built his house on the sand. Now, maybe like me, you've read this story and you thought, this seems sort of overblown, kind of simplistic. Like, who would ever uh, find a, a plot of sand and just build a house on it? Right? The, the, the illustration strikes you as a, a little bit, uh, just, it doesn't work. Right? But then you go to Luke's gospel. And when Luke tells this story, you realize what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6. It's not just that here's this man who built a house in the sand that anyone can walk up to say, hey, uh, buddy, your house is built on a st- sand. Like, how is this going to work? I, you know, it's not going to work. The storms are going to come and your house is going to fall. No, no, no. When you go to Luke 6, you realize that the man who was wise dug deep, the text says in Luke 6, dug deep under the surface and built and laid his foundation on the rock. The rock is not sitting there on the surface of the ground. The rock is deep below, Jesus says in Luke 6. And the same is true here. The foundation of which Jesus speaks here, it was not seen. It was below the surface of the ground. And so the man who builds on sand, Jesus, he's referring to a man who just builds his house without digging deep below, just on the ground, the ground which happens to be sandy without any foundation at all, or at least without any firm foundation. And so again, on the outside, it appears that both houses have a nice, strong Uh, a a nice uh, sense of that, hey, if a storm comes, you will withstand it. You will be able to, to make it. Your house, this house, and that house, they look the same. But again, the difference is underneath. The difference is below the surface where no one can see. And so through these pictures, these comparisons between the two builders and the two houses and the two ends, what is Jesus doing but confronting us with one question, one choice, Will you merely be a hearer of Jesus' words, or will you be a hearer and a doer? Back in chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, Jesus had told us that a verbal profession of his lordship is not sufficient. You can say, Lord, Lord, but that doesn't mean anything. And here, Jesus is saying something very similar. He's reminding us that it is not enough to have an intellectual knowledge of his words, to be familiar with, with his words, even to agree with and approve and believe that his words are true and amazing. It's not enough to sit here on a Sunday night and hear the sermon, to bring your children to church and to to sit yourself in the pew and to listen to the words of my mouth or whoever might be preaching. It's not sufficient. 
Now, to be sure, verbal professions of Jesus' lordship and intellectual knowledge, hearing, understanding, digesting, affirming, those things are necessary, but they're not sufficient. But what is absolutely necessary and absolutely sufficient is doing what Jesus says, hearing and responding with faith and repentance, obeying his words, submitting to his authority in the way that we live our lives, putting into practice the things that we hear, even as we saw this morning. Isn't it amazing the way these two sermons fit together so well? What is sufficient is laying hold of Christ by faith and out of that faith, repenting of sin, making changes in the way that we live because of what we have heard from Christ's word. And so the question this morning, the question every time you hear a sermon is, will you merely be a hearer or will you be a doer? Every time you sit in a Bible study, will the lordship of Jesus Christ, will the authority of Jesus Christ matter to you? Will it matter to you to the point that you will change your life? Will you merely be a hearer of the word or will you be a hearer and a doer? Now, as you can imagine, this theme is all over the Bible, but there's one place that you may not be as familiar with. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 30 to 32, we read this. God says to Ezekiel, as for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, they say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, listen to this, this imagery. Behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Isn't that a marvelous image? It's like you're sitting in a concert and you are cheering. Like, this is amazing. You're the best guitarist ever. You sing so beautifully, and we want to hear you. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. But God is saying to Ezekiel, they will not do what you say. Now, we're more familiar, aren't we, with James chapter 1, the image that he used when he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is saying, if you come and you sit under a sermon or you sit in a Sunday school class or you sit in a Bible study and you hear, but you do not do, then you are like someone who has looked at their face in a mirror. You've seen the, the, you know, the, the blemish. You've seen the, the spot where you didn't get your makeup on just right. You've seen the place where you need to trim your nose hairs and you have walked away and you have done none of it. And you have forgotten what you looked like. You are self-deceived. You think you're fine. But in fact, everyone perhaps can see it. But sometimes they can't in reality. Sometimes everyone looks at you and thinks, that person loves Jesus. That person is walking with Jesus. That person is such a mature Christian. And that's what you think. But God knows, God sees you're a hearer, but not a doer. 
Or how about Jesus' own words in John 13, verse 17, right after he had washed his disciples' feet and he had told them that he had given them an example to follow, to, to do to, as he had done to them. And then he says this, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Again, intellectual knowledge is not sufficient. It's necessary. We want to be a church that that brings about more knowledge, right? That, that encourages knowledge. But knowledge on its own, without a heart change, knowledge on its own, without a heart response, is worse in some ways than being ignorant of the truth. And so Jesus is saying, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Obviously, as pastor, you can imagine that uh, on the way out, sometimes you'll hear, great sermon. I'm thankful for those compliments, as other pastors are, I'm sure. But do you just say that and then leave and everything you heard makes no dent at all? Or was it a sermon that was great because you heard it, you were convicted of it, you were changed by it, and you started to think, I need to do this differently because of what I just heard from God's word do you see the things that God reveals, the flaws, the blemishes, and do you resolve by his grace to obey him? Or do you leave forgetfully and self-deceived, as James put it, assuming that all is well? And if that is the case with you, then life will prove that your foundation does not exist you will not stand. And that brings us to the second point. You see, we've, we've seen the two builders and their two foundations, but I also want you to see the common storm. Jesus here gives us the difference right, between these two builders and their foundations by speaking of a storm that is common to all. Rain and floods and winds, both builders experience it. Robin's prayer was talking about the storm, hurricane or tropical storm Henri that's hitting the Northeast. Well, you know, we experience hurricanes and tornadoes a lot, right? We're used to them. There's something that, that, that's common to us. It's not common to folks in the Northeast. Like, they're freaking out, right? They're, it's crazy up there because they don't know what to do. But what Jesus is talking about here is something that happens to everyone. These storms are a picture of the trials, the afflictions, the hardships that come to all of us, the sickness, the sorrow, the poverty, the disappointment. If your life is built, says Jesus, upon him, upon his word, upon the work that he has done within you to grant you a response of doing and not merely hearing, then you will stand securely when those storms come. You will be able to withstand, to weather anything. But if not, then great will be your fall, says Jesus. Again, every house looks good in good weather when things are going well. The storms must come to prove, to show, to reveal the truth about that house. When we moved here back in 2014, we were looking for a home and we visited one house that looked great, that looked fine on, on the street level, on the street view. But when we went to actually look and, and to see the house, it happened to be raining. And as we walked up to the house, the front door and the front doorstep was filled with water. And it, it was almost like, let's not even go inside, right? What's the point? We're not going to buy a house where water is pooling up at a normal sort of rain shower. 
Now, if we had watched, if we had come and visited that house on a clear day, on a rainless day, we would never have known the truth about this house. You see, the storms come, the trials come, so that the truth about who we are can be revealed. This is one of the purposes for which God brings suffering into our lives, to prove and to reveal either the genuineness or the lack of genuineness of our faith. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 1, doesn't he? Just as gold is heated up and, and the dross is scraped away and, and the gold is strengthened, proven and purified, so trials come and refine and strengthen our faith. Acts 14, verse 22, one of my favorite verses, through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. They will come. And we must be thankful when they come because what they do is they try us, they reveal us, they, they show where there are weaknesses. They show where we're not building upon Christ as our foundation. They show if we are wise or foolish builders. Through these trials, the Lord is revealing us for who we are. He's drawing us away from sin and toward Christ. He's making us ready to face that final trial on the last day, the day of judgment. You see, every trial that comes into our lives in this world is a foretaste of the final trial, the day of judgment, except that trial, there is no opportunity for repentance, for learning on the last day. At that point, you will either be ushered into eternal life or eternal destruction, the eternal fire that we've read about in verse 19, the, the eternal separation of God that we read about in verse 23. Now, let's be careful here. I feel like we've had to say this in several sermons because it's easy to, to get confused. Jesus here is not saying that we are saved by obedient responses to his word. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. The reason we know that Jesus isn't saying that is A, because the rest of the Bible clearly contradicts it, and B, that this sermon began with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. But what Jesus is saying here is the same things that, that James is going to say in James chapter 2. The faith that saves is never alone. Faith without works is a dead faith. The doing of which Jesus speaks here, the doing that is revealed whether we are or are not wise builders Revealed through trials, that obedience, that repentance, that response is a gift of grace. A gift of grace, but a gift of grace that always manifests itself in the life of his elect. And so with Peter and 2 Peter, we, we always have to be making our calling and our election sure. Right? Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 will say, test yourself. Do you stand approved? The trials come into our life that they might be, as it were, a stress test. Some of you have had stress tests for your heart. These trials come to reveal how things stand with us. And so what are your trials telling you about yourself? Are they showing you that you are a wise builder or a foolish builder? Are you fooling yourself on your religion or is your religion genuine? Are you a false professor? Or are you a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a hearer only? or a hearer and a doer. 
That's the question before us this evening. And that's the question that comes to us even in the crowd's response to Jesus, our final point. We've seen the two builders. We've seen the common storm. And now I want you to see the warning crowds. Jesus tell, Matthew tells us in verse 28 and 29 that when Jesus had finished his teaching, the crowds who'd been listening in responded with amazement and astonishment. Now, we see the same response to Jesus across the Gospels. The people recognized that something was different about Jesus. He didn't teach like the scribes, those specialists, those experts in the law of Moses who taught the people. Knox Chamlin, one of my seminary professors, and to those of you from Trinity who were members back before he passed away in 2012, you know him so well. He gives in his commentary on Matthew five reasons how Jesus was different than the scribes. Listen to what he says. First, he says, Jesus taught by virtue of who he was, the Son of God. Second, Jesus taught as the incarnate Messiah, the one who had been anointed with the Holy Spirit of truth and power. Third, Jesus' teaching was in accord with reality, life as it really was, and therefore was powerfully true. Fourth, Jesus taught the Bible, God's word, not mere human tradition, the way the scribes did. And fifth, Jesus practiced what he preached, unlike the scribes. The scribes were just men. They were not God. The scribes in Jesus' day most often taught based on what had been handed down from other men rather than the word of God, plain and pure. They themselves did not obey God's word, Rather, they were motivated by self-love and self-glory rather than the glory of God. The crowds could see through these scribes. They knew that they were fake. They could rightly see that there was something different about Jesus. He taught with an authority that was underived, absolute, even audacious. Think about this. What man would ever think to say that your eternal destiny stood or fell by your response to what he said? For someone to say that, the audacity of that claim, of course they were astonished and amazed. Of course they heard him gladly. And yet, what is said about the crowds is overshadowed by what is not said, what is left unsaid. There is something conspicuous by its absence here. There is a question left hanging in the balance because you see, astonishment and amazement is not obedience. Did the crowds merely stand in awe at what they had heard, or did they hear and do what Jesus said? Well, the rest of the Gospels don't give us much hope or indication that they did do what Jesus said. It was these same crowds in John chapter 6 who, after some hard teaching from Jesus, stopped following him. It was these same crowds who turned against Jesus in favor of Barabbas. And when we come to Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, the ascension, how many people are in the upper room? About 120. Not very many people. Maybe about the size of the folks in this room tonight. Think of the massive amount of crowds that were listening to Jesus. And after his death and resurrection, ascension, you're down to a group this size. The crowds were astonished. They were amazed. But they did not respond by hearing and doing what Jesus had said. And so again, what about you? Will you merely be amazed and astonished at Jesus' teaching? Will you be a hearer only, or will you be a hearer and a doer? 
Will you merely recognize that, yes, there's something different about this Jesus. There's something amazing about him. Or will that amazement manifest itself in repentance, obedience? Will you build your life upon a solid foundation? It will not be easy. It will not be costless. In fact, it will be costly. I mentioned those builders in Mexico City Beach. They said that the, the cost of building that house that survived Hurricane Michael was 20 to 25% more than what it would have been if they were just following the standard Florida hurricane codes. You can imagine that as people watch them you know, dig 40 feet deep pilings, and as people watch them do all the things they were doing, there was questions, there were sneers, there was ridicule. Like, man, you're wasting time, you're wasting money. Like, you don't need to do this. 240 you know, mile per hour winds? When will we ever see that? There will be ridicule and mockery if you seek the costly work of discipleship, of following the Lord Jesus Christ, of doing what he had said. And yet in the end, you will not be disappointed. You will reap a reward in this life and in the life to come. This story has much in common with Psalm 1, which we sang this morning. Think about it. The stability and the fruitful prosperity of The tree parallels the house built upon the rock. Uh, The wicked who are like chaff, not standing the day of judgment, their way perishing, parallels the foolish builder, the house built upon the stand. But do not forget what we saw at first. There is more than one way to be wicked. Let me say it again. There is more than one way to be wicked. These crowds are a standing warning to you. It is perilous even more perilous, we might say, to hear and to perceive the authority of Jesus and then to go away unchanged and unmoved and unresponsive. It is more perilous to be in that situation than to be someone who never heard in the first place. Here you are. You are here in this room or you are watching on live stream. You are present. You are sitting under the word of God. You are hearing Jesus' story, a story that you undoubtedly have heard before. Will you only hear it Or will you hear it and leave this place and make the changes necessary in your life? Will you respond to every sermon that you hear and do what you hear? May God give us grace. May he grant us the grace to be like the wise builder, to have our house built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and his words alone. Brothers and sisters, this must be our prayer, not only for ourselves, but for all who are members of this congregation, for all of our children who are growing up, hearing the word of God at home, in Sunday school, perhaps at school, they're hearing it from the pulpits, but are they hearing it only or are they doers? Only God by his grace can make them doers of the word. And so we must plead with him. We must plead with him for ourselves and plead with him for one another. May all of us, Be wise builders. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking this warning to us with this very graphic imagery so that we might not forget it. Lord, would you draw near? May none of us, Lord, be those foolish builders, religious, hypocritical unbelievers. Father, we plead with you that our religion would be genuine and sincere, Lord, that we would be hearers and doers, that in every area of our life where we hear your word and see that we 
are out of accord with it, Lord, would you grant your help and your grace to us that we might change, that we might repent, that we might turn from our wicked ways, that we might walk according to your ways, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called, a manner worthy of you, O Lord, a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, Father, none of us can do this in our own strength, and so we plead with you for help. Holy Spirit, come, regenerate those who are merely self-deluded and self-deceived, would you open their eyes? Would you give them a new heart? Would you help them to see themselves truly? Now, Father, we plead with you by your Holy Spirit's power and through the intercession of Jesus Christ that you would come and bring your elect safely to yourself. Oh Lord, help us not to shun self-examination. May these words pierce deeply. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.